Hey everybody, this is Round 6 MMA Talk, the fight after the fight, with me, your boy, Noah Petrie. I know, I know what you're thinking, another MMA podcast. I know, there's a lot of us out there, but if you like bold, unapologetic hot takes, a detailed, broken down view of the fight game, and of course, stomach-hurting comedy, well, come to the right place. What's going on, everyone? It is episode 19, R6, MMA Talk, the fight after the fight with me, your boy, Noah Petrie. And I'm going to be going over, of course, the fights that just happened this weekend. UFC Paris, gone versus Taitsui Vasa. Of course, all the, the fight news and everything else is going down in the MMA sphere. We're going to be going over neck this week's fights, which is UFC 279. Shemaev against Nate Diaz. Kind of a bullshit fight. The card is very good. I'm going to give that. When you look at the card from the prelims all the way to the main card, it's a solid fight. It's just that the co-main event and the main event suck ass, to be honest with you. Or just two fights that really neither of them make sense. It's just kind of rare to find the co-main event and the main event of a fight card just doesn't make sense. But we're going to be going over that later, of course. But I want, before I even jump into the fights that happened this past weekend, I want to address the French crowd first. And as you may know, it's UFC's first time being in France. They were in Paris, Paris. Um, and honestly, I was shocked at how rowdy they were. I really was. Honestly, if you, if you just told me that the UFC was having an event and you didn't tell me where... I probably wouldn't have known it was France because the France fans and the U.S. fans were very similar. A lot of them were booing when it comes to grappling. Um, you know, a lot of them were chanting different stuff and that kind of stuff. I thought because when it comes to France, right, in France, the MMA was banned for forever up until very, very recently. I think like a year or two ago, that's when MMA was finally not banned in France anymore. So way to get with the time, France. But... As we all think of France, especially the how Americans think of France, you think of France as, you know, sophisticated, elegant, intelligent, well-mannered, that kind of stuff, right? So going into this, I thought, one, since it was banned for so long, it's finally unbanned, I was assuming the fans would be a little bit more on the quiet side, not as rowdy, more reminiscent to, like, Asian fans. So when, you, when any MMA promotion goes to, like, China, or, you know, different countries like that, it's dead silent, or Japan, it's dead silent, no one's cheering, no one's especially not booing, um, so no one's booing at all, but when someone lands a gun punch, the crowd cheers, when someone gets a takedown, the crowd cheers, when someone reverses position, the crowd cheers, that's exactly how fighting should be, in my opinion, um, but I thought that the French crowd would be more so reminiscent of that than the American crowd. But there was really no difference between the French crowd and the American crowd. Both are very rowdy, both boo, both cheer, etc., etc. It was very cool in the Gantui Vasa fight hearing the French crowd sing the national anthem super loud. It was really, really cool. Even the fighters, both gone inside Tui Vasa, like acknowledged each other that dude. Like, this is fucking insane. Um... And I, I, it was just pretty shocking there. So do I think that the UFC is definitely going to go back to France? Absolutely. There's no reason as to why they shouldn't. Um, of course, they're going to have to put on French cards. to so have a lot of French fighters on the card. There's not many French fighters in the UFC. So they'll probably go to France like every 
twice a year, maybe once a year, somewhere around there. But do I think they're going to be going to France as much as they go to like the UK? Probably not, to be honest with you. But let me get into the fights. I want to start off with the main card. And the first fight up is Edgar against Perez. And Perez, as we may know, is the fighter, woman fighter, Argentinian, very attractive. She gained notoriety this past week. Well, this last week. And it was because she was twerking and the weigh-ins and like she had, you know, a, a, a uh, theatrics in regards to like going to the octagon for the fight and all that kind of stuff. Which, to be fair to her, because some people may think, oh, she gets in the UFC, doesn't know how to act. To be fair to her, she was doing this, the whole twerking thing, before she got into the UFC. So it's just like her shtick. It's her thing. Which I get it, you know, in regards to MMA, it's, it's so sad because it's not if you're good that you will gain notoriety it's you know are you different how can you set yourself apart there and it's so weird because the fans just seem to gravitate to women fighters who are overly sexualized so women fighters who are very attractive or do overly sexualized things or the men fighters who are just dicks who are just blatant dicks who just say dumb shit and do dumb shit and just are assholes like Conor McGregor, a good example of that. So it kind of sucks that for some reason the fan base just gravitates to those two kinds of personalities. So I understand her trying to put herself out there and uh, make herself seem different than the rest of all the women on the roster. But going into this fight, she is very grappling heavy and against Eckers, who is, you know, a judo champion. A woman won fucking gold medals in judo. So grappling against someone who is so high level in judo probably wasn't the best bet or the best game plan going forward. Whoever her coaches are really fucked her on that one. Then again, I don't know what their game plan was. Maybe their game plan was to strike. When she was striking Eggers, she was having very good success there. She did rock her at one point, but as she rocked her, it had her against the cage. She went into grappling, which didn't make sense. Every time they went to a grappling exchange, Edgar got the best of her. Right in the beginning of the fight, she tried to go for a takedown Perez, but Edgar's just reversing and goes into a beautiful judo throw. And towards the end of the fight, in the second round, Edgar's had her back, got the rear naked choke, and won the fight. But here's the thing, right? Maybe you should leave the theatrics, the twerking, and everything else after you win. Like a good example of this is Beth Correa. And Beth Correa has since retired this year, good for her. But she kind of gets a lot of shit because no one really remembers her in the beginning of her career, only the towards the end, which was, you know, she was getting in losing streaks and the knockout against Ronda Rousey. Um, but in the beginning of her career, or up until the Rousey fight, she was on like a 10-fight win streak. She was very formidable in that division. She was someone who everyone thought can give Ronda problems and of course Beth Correa's main thing what everyone was what she was known for is twerking after getting a win which listen if you're good if you get a win fuck it twerk you know uh, you could do that like another example uh freaking chick with the Greek name Dubonopolis something along those lines you guys know who I'm talking about I'm blanking out on her first name but I know her last name is something along those lines it's very Greek so it's hard to pronounce but she was a former stripper before going to MMA, and as you may know, every time she gets a win, she jumps on whoever's, you know, uh, doing a fight interview after in their arms. So that's like her kind of shtick, you know? Um, so that's fine. If you win, you can do all that stuff, but maybe just save all the theatrics and everything else for the win. 
if that makes sense. Even Edgar said it too. Like she said, I don't care for the twerking. Um, you know, keep that stuff somewhere else, which I get it, but maybe just save it till after the fight. But then again, I don't blame her for trying to just set herself apart. Listen, do I find her attractive? Yes. Does she have to clappers? Yes. Am I mad that she's throwing it back? Absolutely not. But I just think all around, it sucks to have fighters who are, you know, relatively speaking, very, very good, especially the women's fighters too, because this kind of stuff really sets women's MMA back just a little bit, where there's always the women's fighters who are attractive or do stuff like this, who gain all the notoriety and not the ones who are relatively good. For instance, Natalia Silva, I believe she's fighting at 125. She is a very good fighter. The only person she lost to was Marina Rodriguez, and that was a very close fight. And her striking is fucking incredible. She is a very beautiful woman as well. But she doesn't do these three at these theatrics and stuff. So she's not really getting that kind of notoriety that I think she should be getting. But it, it just goes to show you that one, the fan base for MMA is predominantly male. Um, probably not the brightest batch, I'm gonna be honest with you. MMA fans are they're a trip, man. MMA fans are a trip. At least the United States MMA fans. And you might say, oh, you know, why are you you're talking down to your crowd? But, dude, we the cat's out of the bag. We all know how MMA fans can be sometimes. Has it gotten better since the early 2000s and has MMA legitimized and had a, a good... A better standing in society. Yes, it has gotten better, but for the most part, some of these uh these bad tendencies tend to still be in in combat sports, especially in MMA. And uh, some of the, the the crowd just want to see attractive women. Man, I remember Mike Brown at one point on his podcast. I literally had three episodes and had to be shut down. He's like, I don't want to watch women fight. So if I'm going to watch women fight, let it be topless. Do I have that viewpoint? Absolutely not. But someone who was in the UFC said that. So there goes that one. That's uh, uh, defending my argument there. Um, but I want to get to the next fight after that. And that's Wood against Jordan. And the first thing I know is straight off the bat. This is definitely Wood's division. He looks a lot healthier. He's not cutting all this weight to make 135 anymore. He's on like a, a now a four-fight win streak, but at the time, a three-fight win streak. He, it just seems to be his division. And he has an incredible gas stick as well, but he just looks so much better in his division than he did at 135. And I was a little worried when he made the switch because, you know, he's fighting at a bigger division, but he looks fairly, you know, uh, I was going to say swole, but swole is absolutely not the word. But body-wise, structure-wise, it seems to fit perfectly fine at 145. He doesn't look big for a division, but he doesn't look small for the division either. So that's good. And in this first round, obviously, I gave it to Wood. He got the takedown. He got the control time. He was able to utilize it. And in that second round, it was a li- it was pretty interesting. This fight was very interesting in that the first round, Wood was able to get a takedown through the leg sweep. And the second round... Both men were just in the phone booth fighting the entire time, which was shocking. Granted, Jordan did get the better of him striking-wise in the first round, I personally believe. Um, but in that second round, do both dudes are just in the pocket, scrapping it out, literally, you know, six inches away from each other, just inside leg kicks and punches and rolling with the punches and blocking, going to the body. It was pretty shocking to see two fighters literally stand in the middle of the octagon and fight in that way in an MMA fight for 10 minutes. 
because it happened for two rounds, which is pretty incredible. Um, in that second round, is extremely, extremely hard to say who won that round. I gave it to Wood because I think numerically for both men in that second round, it was relatively the same, right around the same amount of numbers. As far as damage-wise, I can't really pinpoint to, to, to who did more damage on the other. I thought it was fairly even in that regard as well. But Wood did get a takedown at the end of the round. Granted, he didn't do much with it, but he did get the takedown, which I think that's what made him won that last that second round. In the third round, I obviously gave it to Jordan. I think Jordan did far better striking in that third round. Um, Wood was constantly just trying to get that takedown, trying to do the leg sweep, and he wasn't able to get it. Uh, he looked more so on the gas side as well, but I think all around, Wood did have the better performance. I think the right man won in that regard. I gave him the first two rounds and lost the third round, but he looks good in his division, man. He definitely looks good in his division. And I want to see him keep progressing and have the same amount of access that he was having at 135. And now we have Buckley against Imovov. And before this fight even happened, man, both dudes were, they did not like each other. And there's Buckley, who Buckley talks a lot of shit. That's kind of like his thing. He was talking so much shit to Imovov, and Imovov was just taking it. He wasn't really going back and forth with him at all. He was just taking it all in. And it was a couple of times where he could have, you know, he could have got a point deducted because after the bell, he was kind of being a dick to Joaquin Buckley still. And I think he even pushed him or slapped him or something along those lines. After he went to, I think, Imovov got him with a, a crotch shot or eye poke and he was still being a dick to, to Buckley. He had to tell, the referee had to tell, you know, Imovov to, to back the fuck up and go to your corner. He wasn't listening for a little bit. So he definitely, you know, he was pushing it. He was really pushing the line. He definitely just bottled all that energy and all that anger and just released it in the octagon in that fight. And dude, he had an incredible, incredible, incredible performance for the first two rounds. The third round got a little dicey. But in that first round, he had the karate-based stance with his, with his uh, arms low and just constantly bouncing back and forth in a wide stance. And before I even get into the fight, really, I want to talk about Buckley. And I say this every single time Buckley fights. Literally, every time Buckley fights at middleweight, you're going to hear me say this. He should not be fighting at middleweight. He's too small for his division. He's big, stature-wise. You know, he has a lot of muscle mass on him. But when you look at Imovov against Buckley, they look like they're in two completely different divisions. Imovov just looks so much bigger than Buckley. And of course, he had a six-inch reach, six reach advantage, which really worked for you know uh to his advantage in that fight but buckley looks so small and it's, it's a constant issue in that buckley fighting these guys over at middleweight he just seems so out of reach with all of his striking he has to throw these big looping punches in a row to try to close the distance in every single one of his fights and he has a lot of power so at times when it lands it fucking lands and he gets a knockout but this is just a constant issue for him, man. And I think, I'm not even sure if he can make 170 because he has all this muscle mass. It's clear that he doesn't have a lot of body fat. So he would have to, you know, uh, trim down a little bit muscle mass wise to make 170. But I think overall, it would benefit him a lot more than staying at 185. A lot more staying at 185. I think he have a far better performance at 170. And he should work on checking leg kicks as well for the most part. But back to the fight. Imovov did such a good job just going in and out, man. Every single time Buckley tried to close the distance, 
Imovov would immediately duck out of the way, move to the center of the octagon again, and just constantly apply that pressure over onto Buckley. He didn't let Buckley breathe at all. And he was just constantly hitting with leg kicks and jabs and just getting at, just doing such a good job getting out of the way of Buckley striking. So that first round was clearly Imovov's. The second round, again, clearly Imovov's. Now, he did mix it up a little bit and got a takedown in that fight and had a decent amount of control time. I do think that led to his detriment in the third round, though, because in that third round, he's clearly not someone who's very used to grappling. So after having that grappling exchange for the almost the entirety of the second round, he looked exhausted in that third round. He looked very tired in that third round. In the first two rounds, he wasn't flat-footed. He was bouncing, going up and down. In the third round, he was very stationary, wasn't moving a lot, was flat-footed. In the first two rounds as well, he, he did a really good job of not getting into firefights with Buckley. The few times that Buckley was able to close the distance and land some good offense, Imovov did a very good job in, yeah, throwing as well, but then again, backing up, resetting, going back into stance, maintaining that distance, and also applying that pressure. In the third round, he wasn't doing that at all. He was very stationary. He was too willing to get hit by Buckley, which even if it's the third round and Buckley's tired and you're tired, you don't want to do that in regards to Buckley. So in that third round, dude, it was very, very sloppy. Let's, let's be real here. Both men were just throwing very sloppy punches, especially in regards to Buckley. I do think Buckley won that round. He looked like the fresher man. He did land more damaging shots. I think if it was a five round, it would have went Buckley's way, to be honest with you. But unfortunately, it is a three rounds. It was an entertaining fight. I think Imovov was the right for winner. And, dude, that fight was just... That fight was... The, 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 Buckley just needs to go down to 170, in my opinion, man. I don't think he's going to have any real success at... 185. I think he can maybe break the top 15. I don't think he could break the top 10. I don't think so. And I think at 170, he'll be a real formidable challenge for a lot of those guys. Um, then we have then we have Whitaker against Vittori. And before, when I covered this fight last week, I had this fight go into Whitaker. And I simply said, Vittori's very good. Whitaker's very good. They do a lot of the same stuff, but I just think Whitaker's overall just a better fighter. I thought Whitaker was just going to go in there, not necessarily dominate Vittori, but just prove that he is a better fighter and win the three rounds. That's exactly what happened here. Granted, I think that these this, this is one of those fights that should be five rounds because it's the number one against the number two, which is so rare to see in MMA. But even though... Regardless if it was five rounds or three rounds, the results wouldn't have been exactly, exactly, exactly the same. So in that first round, Marvitori was applying the pressure over to Robert Whitaker. Whitaker being against the cage. Whitaker did such a good job sticking and moving, man. Just staying behind that left jab. And every time Marvin tried to close the distance, just to get out of the way of it. And it's funny because Robert Whitaker, his game plan to every person he fights is exactly the same. He doesn't change his game plan. He's kind of like a uh, a Volkanovski in that fact, where his stance and his game plan and his fighting style just works for everyone, for the most part. Everyone not named Anasanya. But for those two guys, their fighting stance and how they fight is exactly the same, but it's just universal, works for everyone. It's just good. 
And it's such a shame because, dude, Whitaker would probably be, if Anasanya was never around, we will be talking that Robert Whitaker is the greatest middleweight ever. He's definitely top three middleweights ever. You know, uh, he's behind Anderson Silva and Anasanya. He's number three. And it sucks as he would have been so dominant. And I think no one in that division can beat him for the exception of Anasanya. That's his one Achilles heel. That's his one kryptonite. And just to go over the fight a little bit more, I was a little shocked that Whitaker didn't throw a signature left jab, left high kick that he loves doing so well. He does so often. Now, I was a little surprised that Marvin Vittori didn't time Robert Whitaker because every time Rob throws, he's so left dominant, right? He throws a lot of left high kicks, left kicks. He's always utilizing that left jab. But every time he does that, he ducks to the right a little too much, a little too repetitively as well. I'm surprised Marvin Vittori didn't pick up on that. I thought he could have timed a really good left high kick when he was when Robert Whitaker was ducking right. Or uh, a left jab, or a you know a left knee. Sorry, I said left high kick. I mean right high kick, left high kick. It will be Vittori's left, Robert Rooker's right. But I'm surprised he didn't do any of that. But in that second round, Mar Vittori it wasn't applying that pressure anymore. Was kind of working off out the back foot, which looking at it in hindsight is not necessarily the wrong, a bad game plan because if you're constantly applying pressure and it's not working. Maybe doing the opposite will work in your favor. But unfortunately, doing the opposite even made things worse for him. He was starting to get tagged up a lot by Robert Whitaker. Robert Whitaker was hitting him with those straight rights, hitting him with the, the right high kicks, was having Vittori, I wouldn't say rocked, was hitting him with some damaging ass shots. One thing is for sure, Robert Vittori has a fucking amazing chin on him. Like to fight Boricina, Paulo Acosta at you know, light heavyweight and take those shots and be perfectly fine going forward. And to take these shots by Robert Whitaker and just keep going, dude, the man has a fucking chin on him. He does 100%. But that second round did not go his way as well. And that third round, man, was even worse. Was even worse. He went back to applying pressure and he got lit up even worse. There was times where I thought, man, there were some shots that if it was anyone else in the division, they probably wouldn't be going down. And as far as what to work on for Marvin Vittori, he's still young. He's still in his 20s. What I think he should work on after this, I'm not entirely sure. I just think the better man won this fight. I just think the better man won this fight. He didn't really, He never really had a clear game plan to win. I thought striking rise, Robert Whittaker is just a little bit better. Granted, both men are very good grapplers too. I think Robert Whittaker is the better grappler. I think Vittori is good at grappling, but Robert Whittaker's takedown defense is fucking phenomenal. His scrambling is very, very good too and very underrated. It just wasn't a clear path to victory in this fight. I think Robert Whittaker's experience just is what led him to get the W. And no one ever did this to Marvin Vittori before this either. You know, Vittori fought Adesanya twice, but he never got beat down this bad. So I think Robert Whittaker most definitely deserves next up whoever is the winner between Pereira and Anasanya. If, and in reality, is it going to be the next up? Probably not. Because if Anasanya beats Pereira, I think I think Anasanya is going to go up to light heavyweight because he, he beat Whitaker twice already, definitively. The second one is pretty close. Some people argue Whitaker. I don't see how, but he won the, he, he, he beat, he beat the man twice. So 
there's really not much for him in that division anymore. So if Anasanya wins, I see him going up to light heavyweight, which I think he rightfully should. If Pereira wins, I see them making a... You can't... A, it wouldn't be a second fight in reality. They'd be fighting four times, but it's in two different sports. I think they'll run it back if Anasanya loses, which makes sense. It will be a good storyline. It will sell a lot, and I think Anasanya definitely deserves it. Um... So I don't, I don't see Robert Whitaker necessarily fighting for a title anytime soon in that regard. Well, if Anasanya wins and he goes up, then he'll vacate middleweight, and we'll see what happens there. And now I want to get into the main event. Gone against Taitui Vasa. And in last week when I was talking about this fight, I thought that the right game plan for Taitui Vasa, if he was going to win, was to... He had to make it a dirty fight. He had to get in the pocket. He had to push Gone against the cage. Maybe do some clinch work. Try to land some dirty elbows. Some, some you know, some right hands coming off of the clinch. He had to make it dirty. If he was gonna, you know, point fight with Gone, it wasn't gonna work. It was never gonna work. And I think Gone, I think Taitui Vash just had the wrong game plan going into this fight. He did exactly what he shouldn't have done, which is point fight against Gon, who is arguably the best striker in that division. Honestly, I would say he's the best striker in this division. I don't think anyone else is, can strike as well with him. There's people who have more power, but I don't think they're a better striker than Gon. So you try to fight Gon's fight, which didn't make any sense. So in that first round, it went exactly how I expected it. Gon was just piecing them up that first round. Wasn't really doing too much damage. Gon's not known to throw, you know, powerful hits or be, you know, to TKO anyone. He's more so he's going to get you on volume. He's going to keep hitting you, keep hitting you, keep hitting you till one, he gets a decision or you can't take it anymore. So in that first fight, I mean that first round, I gave it to Gon. The second round, Gon was winning. Gon was getting around a two-minute mark, was getting a little bit loose and a little bit, a little too confident in my regard. And he got cracked with a right hand, which... At first, looking at it, I thought, oh, shit, Gon's going down. He looked like he, it, it was all over, but he bounced back up. Ty wasn't able to get on any more punches after that. It was shocking to see how quickly Gon was recovered. He recovered beautifully after that right hand, got back up. He landed a really good body shot, which seemed to have hurt Ty. And, dude, he just kept going to the body afterwards. I've never seen so many body kicks in my life. After he saw that that Taitui Vasa was hurt with that body kick, front kick to the body, front kick to the body, front kick to the body, left kick to the body, left kick to the body, left kick to the body, the right hand, front kick to the body. He just kept doing it, man. It was it was it was actually a little comical to see, just a little bit, because it was like, dude, it it reminded me like, and you know it. Playing the UFC game and playing at someone who doesn't really know how to play, and they're just spamming controls and just spamming, you know, a punch or spamming a kick. That's what it kind of looked like, you know, viewing it for the first time. He's just spamming that 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 kick to the body, which in reality, beautiful fight IQ, amazing fight IQ. You saw you hurt your opponent there. Obviously, Tatsu Ivasa is the fat guy, so he probably doesn't have the best core. So just constantly hitting him with those body shots especially when you saw that he was hurt and that it worked, was definitely the way to go. Now, I am quite impressed in how many body shots Tai Tuivasa was able to take before going down. He took a lot, man. He took a lot. 
I want to say upwards to probably 15 to 20, somewhere around there. So even though, you know, it may not seem he has a, a good core, but to take that many body shots and to keep going, that, that is pretty impressive. Now, in that third round, I, oh, I believe in the fourth round, Taitui Vasa got rocked. In the third round, he got rocked with a right high kick. It looked like he was wobbled a little bit and just threw a fucking haymaker. Gone was able to get out of the way. Now, in the fourth round, the beginning of the fourth round, that sequence, I believe is the fourth round. I'm pretty sure I could get the rounds mixed up there, but in, I, to my knowledge, I believe it was the fourth round. Taitui Vasa swings a right hand. Gone counters with a right. And right before this, dude, Tai Tivas was taking damage, man. He has a very good chin. He was taking some big shots that for most people would have went down. Even though Gon is not necessarily the biggest, you know, power puncher or power kicker out there in the division. But he, Tai Tivas swings the right hand. Gon was able to duck underneath, roll with it, counter with a right hand, rock them. Now, he did throw a hammer fist to the back of the head that a lot of people are ignoring. I have to point it out because it is a legal strike. But look, was Taitui Vasa recovering from, you know, getting rocked and it's on the brink of getting knocked out? No. I think even if Gon didn't throw that punch, Ty was going down. He got the TKO victory in front of his crowd. was exactly what he wanted. An impressive victory. I love the fact that he got tested in that fight and was able to recover. It's clear that Gon has a good chin, and his recovery is phenomenal. It, it was a very good fight. It was a, a more it was a fight that was more entertaining than I thought it was going to be. I thought Gon was just going to go in there, is going to dominate, and just going to piece him up four or five rounds and come out. I would have found it entertaining. Most of the casual audience would have thought it was boring, but uh, it, it definitely was a very very entertaining fight with its up and downs. So it, it's a good first card for France all around. And every single French fighter won in that card. Every every fighter that was French won. It reminded me of that first fight, the UFC fight in Dublin, where every single Irish fighter won. Very first, very good first card for the UFC for their, their French market. Now I want to get to the MMA news as drama. And first up, Chael Sonnen says that Kobe is the next man at 185, says the opportunity and guys aren't seeing it. I can see where he's coming from. Because at 185, there's really not much going on right now. There's not there's, there's not much happening. Anasana really ran through the division. So if Kobe, with the shit talker that he is, was to go to 185, I think, I don't know if he'll get a title shot right off the bat, but I think they would give him someone like a Whitaker, which would be a terrible fight for him. Don't get me wrong. And I think Anasana will also be a terrible fight for him. But is it a new opportunity to maybe get a title shot in another division? I think so. But I don't know if he's next up at 185, but I can definitely see where Chael is coming from here. Now we have Francis says that he's targeting uh, 2023 for his return and says that the uh, the boxing goals uh, aren't dependent on Fury. So he says that he's still interested in boxing and wants to come back at that in 2023. And his goals aren't necessarily dependent on Fury. Because as we know, some of you, I'm not I'm not sure if you follow boxing at all. Tyson Fury, heavyweight champion of the world. He's basically said he's retired and not fighting anymore. Then next week he says he's unretired. And the week after he says he's retired. Then he says he doesn't want to fight Usyk. He only wanted to fight Joshua and a bunch of other shit, right? So I think, I think Francis kind of fucked himself in this one. Because Francis was so hell-bent 
on fighting Tyson Fury and getting that money and getting that bank and having that be a stipulation in his contract. And now I no one could expect Tyson Fury just to, you know, to dangle retirement the way he is, saying he's retired, unretired, retired, unretired, not fighting this person, only wants to fight this person, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Now Francis can go fight someone like a an Usyk. He's not going to get any real money from that. Or Joshua. He would get some money from that, but not so much. A Wilder. Again, some money, but not so much. If he were to fight someone like a Fury, then he, that's, that's where the real bank is. This is where the real money is. Because he's currently a champion and the best in the heavyweight division right now. So the fact that he, he went so hard to get that, that boxing fight in the contract stipulation... And against this one particular fighter who's the money fight, and that money fight's probably not going to happen, you kind of fucked yourself on that one. And I don't blame him for trying. I think it's beautiful that he tried to get that in his contract where it pushes the boundaries of what the UFC is willing to offer in a contract. But I think he kind of fucked himself on that one. I think he really did. I don't see him boxing. I think the UFC might... I think this is what the UFC is going to do. The UFC is probably going to say, you know what? I think they're still in a contract negotiation. I think the UFC is going to say, you know what? We'll let you box. But only Tyson Fury. Because that's the money fight. You know, that's where we're going to make the money. For anyone else, this is not going to work. And I just don't see Tyson Fury fighting Francis. Obviously, Tyson Fury in boxing would beat Francis. But I just think it, it kind of fucked Francis. Well, Francis kind of fucked himself in that regard. Now we have GSP is saying how he would fare against Usman and against uh, Leon Edwards. And here's the thing. I'm really not going to go over what GSP said because GSP is just being humble. GSP is one of the most humble champions and you know, humble people to ever fight in MMA. So he was saying how Edwards would be a really tough out for these reasons and Usman would be a really tough out for these reasons. Now, here's what I think. GSP would go through Edwards. He would. Yeah, I think if GSP were to stay on the feet with Edwards, Edwards would win. But GSP has some of the highest fight IQ out there. So he's not going to do that. He's going to wrestle fuck him. As far as Usman, I think Usman would be a tougher challenge for GSP. Prime GSP against Prime Usman. I take Prime GSP. I'm not going to really dig into it. But GSP was just saying how both men would be a really tough out and just being humbled about it. Then we have Khabib bans gambling sponsors from Eagle FC, say that they ruin families. And I can see that. I can see how that... Because um, uh, Khabib comes from a very strict culture. Very strict background. He doesn't even want women fighting in his promotion. You know, that's how strict he is. So I can see how he has that stance on gambling. Then again, I think gambling is up to the gambler. There's nothing wrong with the gambling companies at all. It's the people who have gambling problems who are the ones who are the issue when it comes to gambling, not gambling itself. So I I can see Khabib's argument. I don't necessarily agree with it, but then again, dude, Khabib is Khabib is Khabib, bro. The dude is very tradi- he's a traditionalist to the T. So I could see why he has a, an issue with that. Now, Julia Avila, a, a, a woman's fighter who's in the UFC. Talks about fighter pay and says that fighter pay is great, but only when you're actually fighting. She then explains how she had nine consecutive canceled fights in one year. 
a pregnancy and had to get a second job in between fights, etc. And says that the UFC is a temporary opportunity and not to make it a career. And I, don't get me wrong. I think fire pay is not great at all. I think fire pay could be a lot better. Has it gotten better over the years? Yes, yeah, slightly. But I think it can be definitely a lot better, especially for the lower tier fighters. Now, I can see her point of view in that. Listen, as long as you're fighting and you're active and you can get these fights, you can survive for the most part off what you're making. But when you have canceled fights, you don't get paid anything, which sucks. So she had nine canceled fights. Now, if you the UFC always says they're, they're guaranteed you three fights a year. They guarantee you three fights a year. But that's... They guarantee to offer you three fights a year. The UFC can offer you three horrible matchups. Three matchups that literally doesn't make sense and are just trying to fuck you over. But if you don't take it, they're like, oh, we offered you it. So we're guaranteeing you our part. We're guaranteeing you three offers. So take it or leave it. Which is, is what they do. It's really what they do from time to time. A good example of this is the fight that's coming up now. Hamza Shemayev against Nate Diaz. Nate Diaz should not be fighting Hamza. Nate Diaz should be fighting someone else. You know, um, a bigger fight, a good fight for him. Just, he just they're just trying to fuck Nate Diaz. But that I'm getting over that later. But having nine consecutive canceled fights, when a fight doesn't, when a fight cancels, you don't get paid. So you can go through the entire fight camp, pay your coaches, and literally the day before a fight or weigh-ins. Your fight is canceled. You don't get paid. So you did all that work for no reason, which is kind of fucked up. I think in those regards, if it's a last-minute cancellation, if it's a last-minute, last-minute cancellation, and the UFC can't get a good replacement, they should absolutely 100% give the fighter their show money because they did what they had to do. They showed. They made weight. They did their thing. It's their opponent that, you know, something happened and it didn't go through. So... I can see her point of view in that when you're actually fighting and you're making money is not too bad. But when you have, you know, cancel fights after cancel fights, similar to Leon Edwards, Leon Edwards just couldn't get a fight for like two fucking years at the worst luck in MMA. So when you constantly have these cancel fights, then that's when shit gets dicey. So I can see her point of view in saying that, you know, the, the pay is great only when you're fighting and when you have stuff going in between in your life. That it's definitely a temporary opportunity, not a career, which I 100% agree with. Now, we have Ty Emery, who is a BKFC fighter. It's the first time I think I'm ever covering BKFC in this in my podcast. But Ty Emery, a BKFC fighter, flashes a crowd in Thailand after the show. This, of course, went viral. Um, you, I saw the blurred version. I saw the unblurred version. I think she has some fakies in there. Either way... Listen, it's BKFC being BKFC. Am I surprised? No. Absolutely not. BKFC is kind of a shit show in that regard. Like, it's bare-knuckle boxing. You're going to see some weird shit in bare-knuckle boxing. You know? Like, it's to be expected in a way. So, if you're a degenerate, you should definitely watch that sport. So, this debauchery that you see in bare-knuckle boxing is to be expected. Like, we nearly had a... They nearly had a fight between Tyron Woodley and... Fuck, a fighter who fought in the UFC. I'm blanking out on his name. Hector Lombard. There's nearly a fight between Tyra Woodley against Hector Lombard uh, of, over something in the BKFC arena. 
over something that happened like 10 years ago, which was Tyron Woodley is trying to talk to Hector Lombard's side piece at the time. So he had a girlfriend outside of his marriage, and Tyron Woodley tried to talk to her, and, they, and this was 10 years ago, and they were about to scrap. So, like, literally, that's BKFC for you in a nutshell. So am I surprised that this happened in BKFC? No. Now, do I think it's a good thing? No, I don't. Now, a lot of the MMA fucking fan base who saw it and on Twitter and all that stuff, they loved it. But, like, of course, going back to how MMA fans are. But this stuff makes women's fighting look bad. That's the thing. And, look, it's her body. It's her titties. If she wants to show her titties after every win, after every loss, bro, it's your titties. Do what you want with your titties. Here's the thing. In you doing this, casual viewership and you know people who have a bad mindset of women fighting, it, it just further perpetuates that notion and that mindset. Now, Big KFC is a up is a rising promotion, very new promotion, so no press is bad press for them right now. So the owner of the of BKFC, I forgot his name, I bet he's loving this. Because it's going viral and it's being shared. And now you're going to have a bunch of, you know, degenerate fucks going to be like, oh, shit, titties in BKFC? I'm going to tune in. Let me see Let me see the next fight. You know, maybe I see some titties. So is there, and there's no such thing as bad press for them. Let's be real here. It's, it's bare knuckle boxing. They, they want to get the most press they can for anything. So is it bad for them promotionally? I would say no. But is it bad for women's fighting in general? I'm going to say yes. And I went over women's fighting a lot in this podcast. Some may think, oh, no, you're a fucking prune. You know, like all the good, the women twerking you have a problem with, titties you have a problem with, where does it end? Where do we draw the line? And listen, do I like titties? Yes. Do I like women twerking? Yes. But I want to see women's MMA get the respect it deserves like its male counterpart. That's all I want, bro. I'm just, I'm a purist of the sport. I want to see the same level of respect women get, the same love as to the male fighters. That's all I want. And I'm just going to point what is, I'm just speaking my truth, which is, is it necessarily bad for the sport? Probably not because it gets more eyes on it. But then again, you're just making women fighting kind of look bad or overly sexualized, which it already is. So I'm just pointing out the elephant in the room. That's all I'm doing. All I'm doing. There's people who are thinking like this already. I'm just voicing that opinion. Now we're going to be going over the Pichu Predictions portion of the podcast. UFC 279. We have Shemayev against Diaz first. We have Shemayev against Diaz first. And, dude, this fight's a joke. Let's be real here. Let's call it for what it is. This fight's dumb. And it's funny because... You have, and I covered last week and prior weeks of this, you have other people who work for the UFC, like DC and other fighters and you know other people in the media, are all saying this fight's a joke. This fight doesn't make sense. It literally doesn't make sense. It's passing on the torch is what it is. Well, not necessarily. But it's kind of like the new guard taking the old guard and feeding Nate Diaz to the, to the wolves, which... Shemayev's nickname is The Wolf, so that's kind of ironic. I didn't mean to do that there, but it worked out in the long run. But 
That's all it is. It's just fucking over Nate Diaz. Nate Diaz has star power, has a name. So fuck it, we're going to give it to this dude because we want this dude to be bolstered up more. That's all they're doing. It's a bullshit fight. It, it doesn't make any sense. I don't see Nate Diaz winning this one at all. Now, you can never really count Nate Diaz out. That's the weird thing. You can never really count him out. Because he, a Leon Edwards fight is a testament to this. Homeboy got dominated by Leon for five rounds, but nearly won in that last 15 to 20 seconds. So you can never truly count him out. But that being said, he shouldn't win this one. And Hamza Shamayev, I think, absolutely is going to win. And it sucks that, you know, Nate got fucked physically, theoretically, spiritually, in every degree in this fight. Or in this matchmaking, sure to say. But who do I want to win? Bro, I want Nate Diaz to win. Because if Nate Diaz wins, is the ultimate fuck you to the UFC. Literally, the ultimate fuck you to the UFC. You beat the guy who they wanted, you know, their, their poster child. You know, the, the person who, their new toy. In a fight that was clearly meant for you to lose. So it would be the ultimate, ultimate, ultimate fuck you to the UFC if he's able to pull this off. I don't think he's going to. Now we have an equally retarded fight, which is Lee Jing Leong as Tony Ferguson. Tony Ferguson, long-time uh, lightweight, 155 is going up to 170 against Lee Jing Leong. And this fight is just fucking retarded, bro. This fight, again, another fight that just doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense. I don't agree with this fight whatsoever. I think this is a terrible fight for Tony Ferguson. Lee Jing Leong is a power puncher. He puts people away. Tony Ferguson just got knocked out, like, viciously, brutally knocked out eight, nine months ago against a 155-er in a smaller division. Now you're going up a weight class and fighting someone who's also a big puncher? It doesn't make sense, bro. Tony Ferguson should be fighting people like a Masvidal or a Connor or a Jim Miller or just people like that. People who are, who, who are you know... Past the tooth like you as well, you know, not not someone who's you know up and coming in the division or, or someone who's you know, you know having trying to get in that title run and that kind of stuff. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. I think Tony should fucking retire. Tony is is an old welterweight, was an old one fifty fiver. He's clearly past his prime. He just got brutally knocked out. I think he should just go, man. I think he should just retire. He proved all there is to prove. Just retire, dude. And we have Holland against Rodriguez. And I find this fight pretty interesting. Because Rodriguez is an up-and-coming fighter. Holland, in theory, should win this one. I think Holland's striking is better. He looks good for 170. Still retains his power. I think if Rodriguez's path to victory is going to have to be grappling. Which Holland's grappling has gotten better. It has improved. It has improved. Is it to where I would like it to be? No, but it definitely has improved. But I think on the feet, Holland should definitely win this one. But guys, even though the co-main event is ass and the main event is ass, the fight card is still very good. Up and down, the fight card is still a very good fight card, prelims and main card alike. It's just the prime fights are trash. So is it worth paying the 75 for? 
Yeah, I would say, yeah. Am I going to? Absolutely, I have to. And I want to. Um, but it's mostly to see the, the whole fight card. I don't really care about the last two fights. I'm going to be honest with you. The Nate Diaz-Shamaya fight, I don't give a fuck about. The Lee Jin-Yong Ferguson fight, I don't give a fuck about. Because both of them are bullshit fights. But that goes episode 19 of round 6 of MMA Talk. The fight after the fight with me, your boy Noah Petrie. Of course, this drops every Tuesday at 7 a.m. You can follow my social medias at Noah Petrie R6 on Twitter and Noah underscore A underscore Petrie on Instagram. But have a good week, guys. I'll talk to you next Tuesday and enjoy these fights. Bye.